I'm Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. Where two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hi, Eve. Hi, Kieran. How are you? I'm good. I just got a prescription for glasses and just got back from my doctor's appointment. So that's exciting and I will soon have glasses. I just have like I have a little bit of farsightedness and apparently a small astigmatism, but otherwise my eyes are fine. Yay, that's good. How uh, are you? I'm good. I had my my last morning of sleeping in before all the like school stuff starts uh, next week. So I've had a very nice slow day. Um, but classes start in two weeks and in-service starts next week. So here we go. Wow. It happens so fast. It does. August is I don't know how July was both a century and also like no time. Yeah. I don't. <laughs> so we have a guest on with us, Jelani. Um, how was how was your July in August? I would have to agree with Kieran. Like at first, like it just it went by so quickly, and then during that last week, it just started dragging. So I'm glad that we we made it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm fine. I'm having a good week. Good. And we're glad you could come join us. We're going to be giving our listeners a little bit of a preview of Bitch Magazine's uh, September issue, which I'm super excited about. And if you don't know Bitch Magazine, you should check them out and support them. They're really fantastic. They do some really good work. So Jelani Turner-Williams is a freelance writer, and she's written a piece for them that's coming out in the print issue in September 1, right? Yeah, it'll be our fall issue. It'll be the power issue. So it's our 88th issue, which is kind of known like as a white supremacy number, but we're kind of flipping that and changing that into like, you know, power. So that's the the message of the entire issue for this season. Amazing. I love that's it. amazing. So the piece that you wrote, you mentioned this on Twitter and I got really excited, is about how homeschooling this fall can actually support black kids and given Kieran and my background we were excited about this idea and so I'd love to have you talk a little bit about what got you excited about this what your your story is you wrote a little bit about this in the issue and then what you found as you researched and reported this yeah for sure just a little bit of a background about myself I am based in Columbus Ohio where I am a monthly contributor for 614 Magazine here. I've also written for Billboard, Nylon, MTV News, Genius, and other publications. So I generally uh, concentrate on subjects within culture, so music, race, feminism, and social criticism. What got me interested in that topic? So my editor, uh, Rachel Charlene, I actually worked with her last summer Uh, for my first piece for Bitch, and it was about just the portrayal of Black lesbians in film and television, because we don't see too much of that. If we do, they're very token characters, so like the stud or the femme, there's no, like, there's nothing abstract about these characters. They're not able to just be themselves. They're like these caricatures, right? So me and Rachel maintained a relationship even after that piece, and she was always like, hey, I want you to contribute to the the imprint 
uh, publication of, of Bitch 2. So she reached out about and that's providing... Rachel Charlene, right? The editor-in-chief. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, she's the editor, uh, one of the editors of Bitch. And she was like, you know, I would love for you to write a dispatch, which isn't too lengthy, but it's, it's roughly 1,200 words. So I sent her a few ideas, and this is the one that stuck out. So my piece is entitled From Homeroom, Lessons in Defiance, Homeschooling lets Black girls learn in peace. I've never been uh, in homeschool, but my mom is an educator, so we always had conversations about education and what it would look like to just just have school from home or, or remotely versus you know being in like a, a public system or a private system and how that would just how it how it would differ. Neat. That's super cool. Yeah. What did you What did you find? I'm very, very intrigued. <laughs> I found a lot. And a lot of a lot of what I wrote, well, the first kind of paragraph was how I did attend public school early on, like in elementary, of course. And there was like this white teacher I had. Ironically, her name was Miss Lynch. Oof. And she kind of like manhandled me in front of the class one time because, you know, she, she expected me to apologize to a librarian. I don't even know what the what the issue was, but like I just remember I was scared. Like the whole class was looking at me, like, "What is Jaylani about to do?" It was just an and, exercise in power, basically, from what it yeah, sounds like. Yeah, it was for sure. And and when I didn't, you know, apologize quick enough, she was like, "That's it, you know, you're going to to peak or whatever that the punishment was at the time." And she kind of just like dragged me down the hall. I never told my mom until now. Hmm. And recently my mom was like, why didn't you like tell me, you know, you know, I would have defended you to the best of my ability. And I just, I didn't know at that time. So that's like the first part of the piece. And, um, I don't even know. I just, I spoke briefly about my mother and how she was involved in, in the school system and, um, basically how schooling, public schooling has been Americanized for ages and, and, and black girls aren't really given the chance to, to, to be like actively challenged intellectually, but instead, you know, they're, they're punished or sent to peak or, or whatever punishment it is, or even arrested too, mm-hmm. if they're not, you know, if they're not acting proper in a, in a classroom setting. Right. And I know that like with the rise of IEPs and stuff, some of that probably has gotten a little bit easier, but that's still there's still a lot of stigmatization that happens. Like I, I taught substitute teaching for a very quick minute and I had this one class where a student was a third grade was given an IEP in a different like desk set away from everybody else and like had a whole different schedule that he was held to. And, um, and he was black and the classroom was probably about 50% black and he just like was throwing a temper tantrum when I came in and for like the first hour wouldn't speak to me and then halfway through the class just like was like I don't want to be here my teacher is racist and my mom you know says I can't do anything about it and I don't want to be here and I was like I'm sorry <laughs> like I was like helpless because as a substitute like I don't have any authority or like rapport with the like higher ups to do anything with it um but he was like really excited that his teacher was gone that day and she wasn't coming back and cooperated with me but you know I again as I it wasn't home I wasn't I was homeschooled so I didn't really experience the public school setting but um just 
from everything I've heard and seeing that one moment, it sounds like, yeah, this is not a safe system for black kids. Yeah, no, I would, I would, I would agree. Uh, Kieran, I don't know if, if you have any thoughts on it because I know you were homeschooled as well, right? Yep. Yep. I was, I was also homeschooled. And so like the intersection of the standard public education system and racism is something that I've like been learning about as an adult because I was homeschooled and that tracks a lot with with what I hear and and a lot of the research that um, the Coalition for Responsible Home Education found also was that homeschooling is much better for black students and other students of color because you don't have to deal with all of the racism in public school and it's you know hard to get a lot of numbers and hard data about it but like in in some of the research that we've done that we've done that's what we found so it tracks and makes sense and also sucks a lot again one of the problems with homeschooling that i was talking to jelani about a little bit before we started recording was just how so much of that community is is staunchly like religious freedom centered and doesn't want any kind of government oversight and so like getting data like that is going to be hard because it's a very like self-selecting group for participating in those kinds of studies but the little bit that we have had has given some some indications of this being a positive thing we found a couple like black homeschool groups in a couple states one is in washington i think one is in new england and they have a really good co-op system going and it's the reason that they homeschool is entirely because they're tired of racism in public schools and so they teach actual history and about their culture and background and it's a much it seems like they're doing a much better job of giving their children a well-rounded education than the public school and also than people like my parents who use textbooks that were steeped in white supremacy and racism and sort of held all of those values. And for those who don't know, a co-op is is kind of, I mean, we, we hear about pods for schooling in the fall. A co-op, a homeschool co-op is basically a pod and the parents will like share responsibilities for teaching and for like childcare for the younger kids and like rotate through so the kids have will have a small class and then shared um you know labor for instruction is shared between parents based on their backgrounds and their expertise so jelani you spoke to various educators homeschoolers and you recommended a few groups what what did you what were you running into what were you saying i reached out to some educators some were not you know They weren't responsive, which is okay. They probably missed it. But I did get to speak to one. Um, Her name is Erica A. She wouldn't provide her last name, probably just for, you know, privacy reasons, which is fine. But she does have a website. It's called My Busy Bees and Me. So she said she's a homeschool mama to a mini tribe. So she's done this even before we've segued into remote learning for the fall. She has her own YouTube, uh, her own Instagram. She even has printable lessons on her website. So we got to, I got to speak to her about homeschooling and what that looks like um, as far as being a stay-at-home parent too. And she embraces it, you know, it gives her a chance to not only connect with her children on an educational level, but, you know, personally too, um, getting to know them more than, than um, 
getting to know them as more than just students, but as like as people, as individuals too. So you get to see a little bit of that in the piece. Yeah, I think one of the the real strengths of homeschooling, if it's done right, is that student centered education. Um, is really the most powerful kind of education experience. And you have so much more ability to do that when you homeschool because you have this this intense one-on-one interaction. And if you have parents who really respect their kids as independent individuals with like minds of their own and curiosities of their own, it can be an incredibly fruitful dynamic. And some of the topics can be elongated. So Black History Month doesn't just have to be designated to only February. It could happen right. for March, you know, April, May. It could be whatever, you know, that, that parent chooses it to, to become. I was fortunate when I was in high school, we had a um, African-American studies class. A lot of children, a lot of students do not get that. So they only mm-hmm. know about Martin Luther King, Harriet Tubman, and it's repetitive year round through um, from K through 12. So we spoke about that. And she she even introduces other topics to the classroom too. So parents can opt to introduce their children to religion, anatomy, even even astrology if they wanted to, if they want to get like cosmic with their children. So there's, <laughs> nice. there's different options. Yeah, that is one of the powers of, of homeschooling um, without like a lot of standardization in terms of like wh- uh, what you have to you know, accomplished by the end of each school year for your student. Like you have the ability to set those kinds of like varied benchmarks. You can do extended unit studies. One of the things that my mom would always do is like, she really just likes learning. And if she was really excited about some topic and one of her kids was excited about some topic, it would turn into like a year long course of study um, as like a side, you know, an elective project um and we did all sorts of cool things like this is part of like how I got into like knitting and spinning and like did an entire like fiber crafting thing like one year like it was because I was interested in it and I could do that that was a that was a fun elective that was available to me um so that kind of flexibility is super fun I'm jealous I wish we had that. <laughs> yeah, it was just like that was like an elective oh it was so great and the lanolin stunk up that bathroom after I washed the fleece for like weeks <laughs> nobody <laughs> liked me okay so did you talk to any um black homeschooled alums while you were doing doing your research for this piece alumni no it, it's crazy so the the print the print version of the magazine isn't out yet, but I did post like a preview mm-hmm. to like Facebook and, and um, Twitter. So one of my friends saw it, and she's been homeschooled like all her life, um, except for when she went to college at Columbus State, mm-hmm. or not Columbus State, but the Columbus. What's it called? It's called CCAD. So the the School for Art and Design. Oh yeah, yeah. <clears throat> she was like Jelani, like this is a great piece. I just wish you would have spoken to someone who has been homeschooled, and I had to tell her like you know my editors at the time they didn't even they weren't even thinking about that and we we weren't thinking about that so they just said to speak to um educators at that time mm-hmm. but i was like you know i'm gonna take a mental note for that for the next piece so no i didn't get to speak to any but i think that they agreed with some of some of what i touched on in the piece but did you did they know. give you any feedback in terms of like what they liked about being homeschooled mm. Actually, let me look at their time. Because I feel like that's that's really the the thing I'm most excited to hear about from them. And if we have any listeners who want to weigh in on this, I'd love to hear from you as well. 
So I'm not I'm not going to share like her identity. Oh yeah, obviously. But um, you know, she just said I appreciate the fact that you shared your personal experience being five years old in school and going through racial trauma. But but like I said, you know, she said I wish you interviewed black girls who were homeschooled from birth to high school so that they could, you know, provide the pros and cons personally growing up in a homeschooled environment and socializing with other children in adult ages. But she said on the outside, it looks great to homeschool. But even as an adult, she says that her socializing skills are still being developed. So maybe she felt that, you know, being homeschooled at an early stage was hindering her social skills. And I can kind of see that. Like, when we go out, it's kind of just me and her. So I'm introducing her to people and helping her, like, get more comfortable but that was one part of it, I think, that resonated with her. Yeah, that is a really, really steep learning curve, actually. Because that, and that's like the biggest downside, or, or one of the biggest downsides of homeschooling generally, is that for the most part, it's just you and your, usually your mother, and your siblings, if you have any, at home learning stuff. And you're not unless you're like really lucky and have parents with the resources to put you in a lot of extracurricular classes, you don't really have a lot of opportunity to hang out with other people and talk to other people and really develop like friend making skills that aren't awkward. So when, when you become an adult and this is, this has definitely been the case for me, you have to like learn how to operate on an entirely different level where everyone else operates and you just like missed all of that entirely. So there's all of these social cues and all of these social norms that are just... You're not used to them. Yeah, yeah. When I started college at Laney, I would text like the group chat like, I learned how to pass notes today. Oh gosh. Because it was the first time I'd done that <laughs> ever in my life. And I got in trouble for flyering campus because I didn't realize that that was something you had to ask permission for and get like stamped by whichever office it was and so you just kind of like run into a lot of things and I had to learn how to like behave at parties and how to not tell people that I tried to keep children from dying as my day job at parties because that's really kind of a bummer a little bit (laughs) (laughs) yeah so there's there that is like a huge learning curve and that's something that a lot of people who went to a traditional school, learned as children and as they grew and they matured with other people who were also learning those same things and they got into conflict with people and figured out how to resolve that. And we didn't. And when we got into conflict with other people, it was our siblings and we had to live with them. So you don't really get the practice of being able to have a disagreement and then go away Mm -hmm. and like let time settle that or or whatever it is you don't really get to practice boundaries with people you don't live with because you just like don't see them very much unless your parents are very intentional about it and that is the case for some families where their parents are like okay we're gonna have a play date with people this day we're gonna go on a field trip that day and we have classes on these days and those people generally turn out to be much more socially adept um but For a lot of homeschool families, especially if they're poor or don't have a lot of resources or live in the middle of like nowhere, it's much harder. And it's like a thing that you have to overcome as an adult. Yeah. Even if kids are sheltered, like even though I went to public school, I was still raised as an only child. So I spent a lot of time in the house, like with my mom, especially when she had her first divorce. And 
I don't know. I didn't really develop any social skills really until like my early 20s. So now I'm, I'm a little more comfortable. But when I was a teenager, that was yeah. not the case. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, Eve, what was your socialization like? My socialization was we had church and that was almost it. I wasn't even allowed to go to youth group. I mean, my parents were like, we don't believe in teenagers. That's like an artificial uh, postmodern delineation of age. And you should be in like mixed age groups with adults and children and not siloed off with your peers. So I wasn't allowed to go to youth group. Um, I like was put in like the we had like Bible study groups for teens and for adults. And I was put in like the one that my parents attended. So all of their like homeschooling parents, friends Uh. and then me. Um, So I mostly was socialized with like adults, people who were like 30 years older than me. And I spent a lot of time babysitting other people's kids So, like, socialization with my peers was fairly limited to, like, who could my parents organize, like, playdates with where, like, all the kids had playmates of all the same ages. So we had a couple other big families that we'd hang out with who had, like, stair steps, like, matching kids' pairs with us. But not a ton. I, like was really excited when I got to college because it was like, I have my own friends and my like parents can't do anything about it. And then, of course, my father went around and made himself a Facebook and started friending everybody on my Facebook. But, because <laughs> he wanted to stalk all the men I was talking to. Um, but that's a whole other story. Yeah, so socialization was limited. I was telling Jelani earlier about, like, I didn't really have, like, black peers in our homeschool community because it was such a like insular group um in addition to the like the already limited like access to my peers I had the group was like white and that was pretty much it yeah that was my homeschooling circle as well you were like the closest thing they had to diversity right yeah Wait, Kieran, Kieran, what what are you? I'm Lebanese and Portuguese. Okay. And like infinity infinity other things, but the Lebanese and the Portuguese are the things that are pronounced and closest. Have you taken like an ancestry test or like a 23 in me? No. I just <laughs> um well my mom put together this isn't a total sidebar. My mom put together like a whole uh ancestry.com history tome thing and my my dad's mom um was the keeper of the family lore and so she would constantly tell us like all of the different places that we came from and she was like you are a league of nations you have all of these different countries represented and that was super cool but mostly my mom put like a tome together that went all the way back to i guess however long ancestry.com has records so a little bit of genealogy (laughs) you know Unfortunately, because of like the the diaspora, I don't really have that privilege. But you know, it's nice that you yeah. have that. Yeah, I never. My whole family was very assimilating. Like they never tried to learn or 
at least like my parents and grandparents didn't keep much of their heritage and share it with us. They were very much like assimilationist. So I have like all of this history that I don't actually know about because that was never shared. It's just like, oh yeah, you're you're this way and that's why people look at you funny when people are like angry at immigrants because mm. people are racist. So that's like kind of the extent of my knowledge. It's not very personal. It's just sort of like, oh yeah, this is why people gave a side eye after 9-11. Oh yeah. Which is just like shitty. That's but... actually my birthday. I'm so... It was my great grandmother's birthday. I, I, I've, I've, I think I've told this story on the podcast before, but like I got my period on 9-11. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> so it's like, Stressful. cool. Now I know like I'm never going to forget when that started. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah. Bad birthday to have, I guess. Or weird birthday to have. <laughs> So you guys did really have like the most um, diversity in the in the homeschooling classroom. No, which is part of why I'm excited to see um, like an uptick in black and people of color homeschooling. Like if this can catch on and become more diverse than the fundamentalist like death grip on homeschooling curriculum and like homeschool co-ops and stuff will be a lot less powerful and I think everybody will benefit we were looking at various homeschool curriculums before you joined us Karen and um like you know like apology of science is like the definitive like self-taught homeschool high school science and like Jelani was like is there a, a non-creation science ver- like version available and I was like I can't think of one yeah and that, like I'm sure it exists maybe but there's stuff like that that's needed and I think like having a more diverse community of homeschoolers will really really set us in that direction yeah yeah it really the whole curriculum market and homeschooling really does suck if you're if you're just looking for something that's already made and covers all the basics because most of it, unless you're willing to sort of create something yourself, is all published by conservative Christian people who have a vested interest in maintaining their clutch over the homeschooling movement so they can keep it the way it is. And even some of the more like progressive homeschool curriculums are still like overly Christian. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a very messy area did any of the educators that you talked to jelani have curriculums that they like to use or so what did they see i only got to speak to one and that was erica a from my busy bees and me um what did she say you know she just says that they have an all-inclusive approach of creating the curriculum uh within the homeschool environment but she also relies on other other like learning formats. So she has a list of like diverse reads. What else does she use? Eve, I, I think I, I think you saw a few things on her website too, right? Yeah, she's she's got a she's got a very mixed list. Like like one of her, like she has a Bob Jones University Press writing program, but she also has like um, a lot of books about like the like African American diaspora. Like she's got like 
both ends of the spectrum present on her like curriculum recommendations. And I thought, found that to be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I like that there's a lot of variety though. That's, that's good. Yeah. It's pretty wide ranging, but I also know that there are some homeschool educators that, that utilize apps too. So if their kids have tablets, Mm-hmm. They may use like PBS Kids. I used to watch a lot of like Caillou and Between the Lions when I was younger. Yes. Oh my I god. Oh so my god. Good. Between the Lions. PBS was a really good thing that we had. There was one of the few things we were allowed to watch, and uh, like Reading Rainbow it and so Miss Frizzle, Miss Frizzle and like Wishbone, like yes, Miss Miss and Bill Nye. We let, we were allowed to watch Bill Nye. <laughs> I was only allowed to watch Bill Nye when he wasn't talking about evolution. We were allowed to watch Bill Nye all the time, but we had to have conversations about his stance on evolution afterward. Where we were like, well, this is, we don't believe in this as a family. But at least, you know, I got to be exposed to it at all. Yeah. So um, I don't know what, like, what programming is on their channels anymore, but they definitely have an app. Um, so does Highlights the magazine so highlights is good too yeah what were we gonna say oh it's just highlights was also a really good piece of uh, media that i was allowed to be exposed to and ranger rick so there's there's stuff like that that you can get that are that are really good um tools out there and i think one of the things that i've heard i have a friend here in the area who homeschools her kid she's a single mom um, and she's black and she's got all of her kids homeschooled because one of her kids has a learning disability and she is has a background in education and she was like I can do this better than they can do this in the school and that's a challenge it's been a challenge for her but it's like she's seems to have done a really great job with it um and you know I think if you like take it on a case-by-case basis like is this serving my kid the best this year then I'm gonna do it and we'll reevaluate it next year like keep doing it on a like year by year decision making process. So one of the things that I've been seeing about like schooling futures for the fall, education futures for the fall is, is this uptick in pods. Um, And a lot of people are worried about increasing class stratification. And one of the things that Karen and I have talked a good bit about on our podcast here is, is how, the homeschoolers who grew up like us who stayed in the cult are the ones who were economically well off so they never really ran into like limits of the system um their parents were able to afford a tutor or like you know really good curriculum for all their kids and and so they're the ones who are like yeah i want to homeschool my kids this was great for me and i feel like the same kind of class stratification is possible with the the pod idea um do you have any thoughts on this like what what you know what this could look like how it could be done well Karen what do you what do you think I don't know I think it's gonna be hard like I we're kind of already seeing some of that in the Bay Area where well-off people are like hey, I'm going to hire a teacher if, like, 12 other families want to join or whatever. It's like Parasite. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is exact. yes. It is like Parasite. Yeah. So I don't really know. I think people are right to be 
worried about it because it's definitely a thing that that is happening and that will happen unless people are being intentional about it and it already really sucks because it totally falls along like class lines and so the the people who are poor and already like have things stacked against them and they have to go to work because they need to pay rent and they work at the grocery store or whatever like they're still gonna be they're gonna be the ones who are most impacted by it and it's gonna be disproportionate and I I don't know enough about because they're not going to be able to spend the same amount of time focusing on their kids education right yeah and I don't know enough about how the like people in public schools mesh and talk to each other dynamics work for like pod forming and keeping kids together or like I feel like there's this whole infrastructure that is vague to me besides the fact that it looks like they're just recreating homeschool co-ops which well I mean I I, like I the sense I get is that like school districts are very much like reflective of um I mean, the gerrymandering and redlining that goes into community development in general. And I feel like, so if you're meeting people from your public school, it's going to be largely people from your same economic, like, background. Yeah. That's my vague sense of it. I could be wrong. Yeah, I feel like the people in East Oakland, for instance, where, where they're, like, poor and it's mostly people of color because all of the white people live in Rockridge and Piedmont and all the people who live in Rockridge and Piedmont send their kids to private school or charter schools are way better off and have way more access to opportunity than kids from other places like neighborhoods in Oakland. And I, I honestly don't know what the solution is there. Yeah. No, I, I definitely agree about like the economic structure here. Of course, I went to public school and I was a middle class student. I was probably a little more like upper middle class because I didn't really rely on like free and reduced lunch. Like I was I was OK. I was I feel like I was more well off than a lot of the population in my school. So as far as redlining, it's so weird. So we have um, Bexley, which is home of like Columbus School for Girls and Capital University. And then if you go a little bit down the street, you veer off into like a little bit more of what's considered like the hood. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. There's like a Kroger there, which people have nicknamed Crow Ghetto because there's been like incidents there and just like fights. Uh. And it's really awful. So there's a lot of segregation there too. Um, A lot of white mansions. But if you like go down the street, you know, it's, it's completely different. And I don't know. I feel like the, the black community has been isolated in that part of town. So if you are a little more fi- financially well off and, and you're a black person, you either live on north or east side. The opposite of that would live on the west or the south side of, of Columbus. Yeah. And in terms of like meeting people to form a pod, you're probably going to just be doing the people you already know from your community rather than like seeking out people through other means yeah that's my guess i keep going back to this question of like black homeschool alumni what kinds of questions kieran both of you do you have for people who had that experience people who were homeschooled for the majority of their 
their upbringing who were um, black or people of color, different different backgrounds from yours and mine, Kieran. Um, like, what would you like to ask them about, like, what they experienced, what they liked, what they disliked, what they'd like to see change? Yes, those are all of my questions. <laughs> <laughs> all of you also, guys. like, what, what an ideal world for black homeschoolers or other homeschoolers of color would look like. Like, what what would make things better? What what is like their grand vision of of homeschooling if homeschooling were to be like if we had more support for homeschooling because I feel like we're leaning towards needing that at this point at least until we get through like the plague. Mhm. And like how does that look? Because we grew up, um, you know, with our parents and HSLDA being like, oh, government money is bad. But I feel like the new wave of homeschoolers don't feel that way as much. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to know what kind of support, if any, would be helpful from the school district or in the form of like, finances or whatever because I feel like now we're in a moment where we have to reimagine how school works generally definitely we do and there's a world of opportunity like I would love to see how um astrology is 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 elaborated in the in the home in the homeschool setting um what questions would I have Post homeschool, what type of like social groups were you more comfortable with? Hmm. That's a good question. You know, one of my one of my really good friends, she went to Bexley High School, and that's a very predominantly white neighborhood. So she was just surrounded by like white students all the time. And she's a black she's a black woman. When she went to OU, Ohio University, she was more um, surrounded by other other like a, a very intimate group of like black peers mm-hmm. so I think that she you know learned to like get comfortable with them but how, how did that happen it was, I don't know yeah these are good questions like was it an easy process or did you just feel like you um were able to relate to them because you look similar to them mm-hmm. yeah what sure. kind of integration was that like yeah yeah yeah, and I think I'd wonder, too, like, what the difference is between a secular and religious homeschooling experience was in these communities, because I feel like the church communities, when they get as segregated as the ones that we are, they're very, very different from a lot of other, like, mainstream, um, you know, religious communities here, and I feel like that it might have been more positive and I'd like to know about that if it was. I'd love to yeah. I'd love to hear those stories. To um to 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 elaborate on um the astrology point, I would love to see how futurism is implemented into the into the classroom, like Afrofuturism. Oh, we started yeah. with Black Panther, you know, of course Black is King is on Disney Plus now. I had a discussion with uh Nona Hendricks from LaBelle about Afrofuturism and what that looks like and her partnership with, um, it was some like dance school in Harlem. It's on, it's on them. It's, it's for, it was for them magazine. Mm-hmm. So we, we spoke earlier this year, but like 
what that would look like. Like now we're in 2020 and we're about to like veer off into this whole new decade. So I'm excited to see what, you know, black children feel about that in, in the classroom too. Yeah. Yeah. So back to your, your kindergarten experience, what would, if you had been going from that to being like pandemic homeschools for first grade, what do you wish it could have been like? If I were homeschooled mm-hmm. and in kindergarten, oh my gosh. Um, I would have loved to have had my mom there more often. She was an educator herself, but she was also like taking classes for her master's degree just to, you know, of course, make more money as an educator. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think during that time when she was in school, I had my grandmother and she was the one who taught me how to read when I was like three years old. Mm, so nice. it kind of got me immersed into like reading and, and writing too. Uh I don't know. I think I think I would have been more appreciative of not being like disciplined by these authority authoritarian uh, figures, but just rather like receiving like therapy and just hmm. being able to vent to someone without being shamed or put into peak or, you know, anything like that. But having the space to like talk about my social anxiety and what issues I felt like I was facing in the classroom. Yeah, having that, like, yeah. safe conversation space is really powerful. I was never suspended or anything, but, you know, as I got older, I just saw, like, the zero tolerance for, for Black students, especially Black girls who who were, like, ch- challenging educators. Like, we weren't allowed to do that in the classroom. If If we were, we were sent out or suspended or just... Yeah, we were we were definitely isolated if that happened. Yeah, the yeah the school to prison pipeline is not an imagined thing. No. Yeah, it's so bad. What? So I I have a question, which is kind of the question that we were asking black homeschool alumni. But what would your idea of like an ideal black homeschool community look like? What what resources should they have? And like, I don't know. What is your imagination? What do you think? Where do you think it should be? Mm. Some strong like community leaders, like some like a physical presence, like someone who could be a neighbor or like the, the neighborhood mom or whatever, like someone that I could like reach in person rather than, you know, through through the Internet. Um, let's see. What would the perfect community look like? Being able to like be close with like other black peers too. I don't know. I've never see. I've never had a homeschool experience, so it's a little tricky to answer that. But yeah, I realize. I realize this is a big question. A lot of this is is like, you know, what kind of future are we imagining? And so I think that's part of why this is a fun exercise, especially right now in this moment. Yeah. Something- yeah. Like if we could build it, what would it be? something that really immerses us into like black culture. So like the past and like where we're headed to, like I said, I was joking about, you know, showing black as King um, in the, in, in homeschool, but seriously, like we, we need to see more of ourselves. Mm-hmm. I didn't really get that in high school, even though I was surrounded by like other black students, we were learning about everything was just so whitewashed, you know? Mm-hmm. So I didn't really get to like learn myself or my history or anything until college or until I got on Twitter and I was able to learn about black culture through through like threads. God, thank God for 
black Twitter because there's so yes. much there's so much that my education left out that I learned just through like eavesdropping there. It's um it was really it's really powerful to be able to you know know realize what you've been missing. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and then like, oh, there's a book I should read, or oh, this is something I should go find out more about. Has been like the internet has been super great for all of those things and for unlearning all of our whitewashed mm-hmm. like history and background. And wouldn't it be nice if we didn't have to play catch up on our own educations later? It would be great. <laughs> that's that's the future I want, where like all students get history that isn't whitewashed and like is very real about the fact that we did some terrible shit terrible shit happened and now this is where we are and it doesn't have to be terrible because everyone made decisions that made it terrible and we cannot make those same decisions and instead (laughs) we can like build a better society i want i want an education that like pushes us that way instead yeah it's crazy how the pandemic like caused like this uprising as far as like the black lives matter movement and police brutality because we were told to stay in the house but people had enough of that i love it it's so good it's so good yeah yeah i would love to see um financial readiness oh my god yes we needed that too yes like if we could just get like a basic like actual like economics course as part of high school something and like that budgeting isn't like and reaganomics or uh i'm forgetting but just like the, in the like name. financial literacy so that you don't have to go into student loans blindly exactly yeah. i agree yeah and like something that most homeschoolers don't have access to but some schools have is like people who help you prepare for like getting a job and like will look at your resume and tell you what you need to fix and will like navigate you through the process of getting to be independent as an adult even if like you don't go to college or you do go to college but like something that actually prepares you for adulthood Mm -hmm. would be nice so, like, n- not only financial readiness, but, like, career readiness, too. And we could all yeah. use these things, but I feel right? like black students a little bit more so because we do go into, like, college or, you know, post, post-high school mm-hmm. very blinded. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. There's a whole, like, social code that is, like, that exists in this, like, upper middle class, like, white collar professional culture that, like, there's, like a subtext to everything and there's an unwritten like list of rules and because of our lack of socialization we had to learn that the hard way but i've heard a lot of like my peers who are black experiencing the same kind of like oh shit i didn't know this like like unwritten playbook and i had to like learn it on the fly the same way i did um and if like and you know those are the sorts of things that can't quite be like as you know clearly like codified and taught as our curriculum but like there should be some sort of like readiness you know for navigating that world yeah 
and even scholarships too. Like me, me and one of my good friends, we were like pounding out like our scholarship essays, mm-hmm. but no one was helping us do that. We just kind of had to go on a whim. And fortunately we did get money for college, but I feel like a lot of students don't, they don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. So as you do reach those final stages of high school or even at the beginning, just preparing for the next stage in education or whatever you decide to do. Yeah. Like writing those essays, like for me was super weird because I couldn't, I could send them to give them to my parents, but I couldn't get any like actual helpful feedback. Like they didn't know how to teach me how to do that. They didn't know what that looked like. Um, Their educational experience was so different from, you know, my, my college Mm -hmm. experience. And so they just like really were flying just as blind as I was. And so you know, if we'd had someone outside of our immediate circle who I could have gone to for that kind of help, it would have been amazing. Yeah. And going into college is just a much, just as much as about marketability mm-hmm. as it is about like your grades too. Oh, so God, no one yeah. really yeah. discusses that. Yeah. <laughs> I remember all the homeschool kids who were like, I got a perfect SAT score and no college would take me. What's wrong with me? Like, well, um, right. you're boring. No. You're boring. That's no, it's true case. though. No, like you did it, nothing. It, you stayed home. You helped no one. You had no job. You live not at all, so nobody wants you. Sorry. You didn't volunteer anywhere. You didn't volunteer. Yeah. You never left the house. <clears throat> or, you know, if you volunteered, it was for, like, a crisis pregnancy center, and you don't want that on your resume because... Oh, God. No. True so, story. <laughs> yeah. I actually learned something this year because I had an interview, and the person who interviewed me was like, if you want to talk about like what you could do better and what some of like the things are, I'll talk. And I was like, okay, I'm happy to do that. And one of the things was I like, you know, keep the fact that I worked on all of these really conservative Christian campaigns in 2005 and 2006 off of like my LinkedIn because I don't want people to like see that and be like, oh, well, they worked for like, Ralph Reed, so clearly they're terrible. And I'm like, well, I was 15 at the time, mm-hmm. and that was my only escape from home. So yes, I helped to knock on doors for a pedophile, but we didn't know that oh, at the God. time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Roy Moore too, and so that's something that like I've been apprehensive about. And he gave me a really idea, a really good idea to like kind of shade that a little bit where it's like you don't have to say who you worked for but you can just have that like you volunteered on local races during these years or like did whatever like I was the regional volunteer coordinator for Ralph Reed's campaign and I did that all at home on my computer so I'm very prepared for 2020 because I've been doing it but at the same time that's not something that I want like random people to know where it's like oh yeah you worked on this dude's campaign and he's a terrible human being mm-hmm. I'm like yes I know I'm sad about it but like just just like knowing that that like I can I can mitigate how I show that and I don't have to be like it was for this person doing this specific thing at this time it's like well but- I did a vague campaign for someone in Georgia in 2006 and that was that was like oh like that hadn't occurred to me until he said it and I was like oh that's such a simple like solution I wish I'd like known about that yeah like nothing specified but it's still like an experience exactly and this is the kind yeah. of stuff that like nobody teaches you in the education system like these tiny little right. like you know touches like basically like personal marketing touches yeah I'm so bad at that still it sucks. <laughs> Well, I think we should wrap up here. Jelani, where can people find you? 
you can find me on Twitter at uh, her name is J and it's spelled J A E. Uh, that's my Instagram name as well. Um, if you want to add me on Facebook, my full name is Jelani Turner Williams. Yeah, and look for that um, issue of Bitch coming out September 1st. Go ahead and subscribe to it and get it in the mail. The art that they do is so great. So, like, I know. Get it just for her article and also all of the stunning, also the art. The stunning images yeah. therein. <laughs> the cover is great. I'm so excited to like walk into Barnes and Noble and be like, it's there. Yeah. Yes. Seeing your name in print is a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, congratulations great. on that byline again. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me too. We're so glad you were thank able you to for join. Having, thank you for being here. Thanks. It was so good. Yeah. Take care. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Well, guys, thank you for joining us once again. Um, if you want to support us, join our Patreon. If you want to hang out on Slack with us, join our Patreon. Um, and then you can join the Slack the website where you can find all of these wonderful links is kitchentablecult.com or on patreon forward slash kitchen table cult is that correct pod, pod. kitchen table cult pod see yeah. i don't i know our own you it's fine we were really smart when we decided not to make everything the same thing well <laughs> certain things weren't available and we had a heart set on one thing and it was a bad idea that's true yeah. <laughs> but anyway anyway it's patreon.com slash kitchen table cult pod. Website is kitchentablecult.com. You can email us there, send us your questions. Definitely join the Patreon if you want to be on our Slack, which is super fun. And thank you so much for listening Yay. and uh, being here this whole time. Thank you to the band The Heavens um, for their music from the album Stenazo. And thanks, Dave, as always, for editing this out and editing all of our fun. Uh, we dropped off the internet glitches because today was just <laughs> today was a lot. A day. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, you guys take care. Wash your hands. Wear your masks. Don't lick light switches. Yeah, don't do that. That's just a bad idea in general. <laughs> OSHA will not approve. No, no, not OSHA approved here at all. No, bad idea. All right. Bye. Bye.